Blog Talk Radio. Covering uh, Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. 
our next guest on Minnesota Sports Weekly is a friend of the show, uh, Rhett Bollinger for MLB.com. He now is covering the uh, the L.A. Angels of Anaheim, and uh, I'm going to bring him on right now. Rhett, how's it going? Doing well. Thanks for having me on, Travis. It's good good to have you on. I, the Angels have had a, a big off season, so I wanted to get your thoughts on that, and uh, and then some football, and then and just touch base. We haven't talked in a while. Um, yeah, sounds great. I'm excited for it. Uh, everybody and their neighbor knows the big signing for the Angels was. Anthony Rendon, uh, how did that come about in your mind, covering the Angels? It was definitely a surprise. I thought, if anything, they're going to go after a big pitcher. You know, they've been linked to Garrett Cole for a long time. You know, Steven Strasburg, Zach Wheeler. Uh, they wanted one of the big pitchers on the market there. Um, but when they kind of realized that wasn't going to happen, it, you know, they kind of figured out at the beginning of the winter meetings that Cole was going to go to the Yankees. You know, Strasburg had signed that first day uh, with the Nationals. Um, and I think they still wanted to make a splash and felt like Rendon uh, made a lot of sense for them, you know, a little bit even of a safer signing because usually, you know, with pitchers, you never know with injuries, that kind of thing. I think when Rendon, you kind of know what you're going to get a little bit more. Uh, you know, he's obviously a guy that has been really underrated for the last, gosh, you know, ever, pretty much ever since, ever since he came up with the Nationals. Um, and coming off, obviously, a huge season and winning the World Series. Uh, but he's kind of a low-key personality in the clubhouse, which I think they kind of like. He's kind of like Trout um, in that sense. I feel like they'll get along really well. So, yeah, it was a surprise to see that happen, but Artie Moreno, the owner, um, had liked Rendon going back to his college days at Rice. Uh, he was on their radar. Um, it, to me, it surprised me I didn't really quite realize that until, uh, you know, we got to the winter meetings. They kind of thought it was going to be a pitcher they're going to go after, but I think it made sense once they realized those guys were going to sign with them. You know, they wanted to make a splash, and they went out and did it and got Rendon. Um, uh, how, how is he going to uh... – fit in in that, in that clubhouse, do you think, with Mike Trout and Albert Pujols and and the other cast of characters uh, on that Angels roster? I think really well, you know. I think he's, like I say, he's kind of more of a low-key guy, um, you know, and I think that kind of fits in well in that, in that clubhouse. You know, Trout's kind of that way, too. As much as Trout's, you know, a superstar, just like Rendon, they're not big personalities that, you know, or, or big media guys or anything. They're kind of guys that work really hard and kind of get their work done. Um, so for the younger guys, too, it's a good person to learn from. Um, and really even fitting on the team, too, it surprised me because I didn't think they really needed a third baseman that bad. But they have a guy, David Fletcher, um, who came off a, a pretty good year last year. Um, but now they have more depth. So they can have Rendon be their everyday third baseman, have Fletcher move around the field. Um, that left side of the infield there with Simmons um, and Rendon is going to be one of the better defensive uh, infields on the left side, too. So, I mean, really, I think overall it is a good fit. I just think that they're pitching – with such a, an area of need more than their offense or defense that it surprised me. But I do think overall he, he is a good fit for this team for sure. Um, speaking of pitching, uh, that's the real uh, – when I look at your guys' roster, that's the one thing. And you guys got Dylan Bundy and – and uh, Tay, uh, I'm not even going to – I'll butcher his yeah. name. Tehran, Tehran, yeah. yeah. And uh, and you you acquired those two, but it's still a little uh, thin. How would you would yeah. you consider pitching uh, a, a need still? Yeah, I still think it's their biggest need. I, I think they need to get at least one more starter. Um, 
You know, they have some in-house guys. Andrew Heaney's been around, the left-hander, uh, but he's been pretty injury-prone over the years. Uh, they got a young kid they like a lot in Griffin Canning, but a pretty good rookie year. Um, and they add Bundy and Tehran to that rotation. You know, Shoya Otani is going to pitch again, you know, next year. He's going to be oh, a yeah. two-way player. So he'll be pitching once a week, though. So that's kind of the thing. So they have five guys, but, you know, if Otani's only going to pitch on Sundays, do they have enough on top of that? So they do have some other young guys they like, a guy, Patrick Sandoval, they got from the Astros in a trade. Um, but I think they probably need one more veteran out there. I don't think it's probably going to come in free agency. It might be a trade. Um, but I think if they can get another guy in there, the slot in there uh, would make a lot of sense for them because of the, just because of the Otani once a week thing. But, yeah, I mean, it's just a lot of ifs on that. You know, Bundy has some potential. You know, he's still only 27, really hasn't put it together yet with the Orioles, but at least he's been durable. Hey, Ron's a kind of a, you know, a durable guy. He's had at least 30 starts for the last seven years. That should help. But neither of them are really big high upside guys or guys that are, you know, top of the rotation type guys. They don't really have anybody like that except for Otani. Like I said, Otani, you know, I can't imagine he's going to get too many innings this year. Um, so if they can get another guy via trade, I know David Price is a the guy they, they looked into. Uh, you know, Kluber before he was traded to the, to, the, to the Rangers was a guy they looked into. You know, Clevenger is another guy that they've at least had some talks on. He would make a ton of sense. I don't know if they have the prospects to get that done. But I do think someone like Clevenger would be a, a huge addition to this team because they really need someone like that who is kind of a you know a high-profile kind of you know ace-type pitcher uh, under team control would be huge to acquire a guy like that. Um, I know they have improved it. Uh, how would you rank uh, the farm system for the Angels right now? Because at one point it was it was really struggling. Yeah, it was really bad. I mean, for a while there, it was the worst in baseball by far for a couple years stretch and at least to his credit uh the gm and billy epler came in and that was kind of his job was trying to rebuild the farm system um and right now i would say it's probably middle of the pack so it's not like it's a bad farm system um it's just they have the one guy at the very top of it joe adele who's pretty much untouchable he's a top five overall prospect uh center fielder they're going to move him to right field to make you know obviously with trout and center um but kind of a five tool player um type of guy and after that you know, Brandon Marsh is the other top prospect. He's, a, he's an outfielder as well. Um, and they've got some intriguing guys after that, too, and some infielders with some power and a lot of athletes, a lot, a lot of center fielders and shortstops. They're very high on. And, you know, and they've got some pitching just kind of more in the lower minors. Um, so I said for a guy like Clevenger, you know, if Fidel's untouchable, is Marsh plus their other prospects enough? And I don't know if it is or not. But the things like they just don't have too many guys yet that are really close to the majors that are tradable yet other than maybe Marsh or Adele, but like I said, Adele at this point is kind of their, their guy. They're going to not trade him. So, um, so, so, it's, so it's a solid farm system. It's just not, you know, it's not like a top 10 or like a, an elite one, though, for sure, either. Um, I, was, I was wondering, uh, I, I saw in the news that you guys uh, signed former twin uh, Jason Castro, who spent the last three years with the twins. Uh, what kind of a role do you see for, for him? I think he'll get, you know, I think he'll mostly be the primary catcher, or at least split the duties with Max Stassi, uh, the guy they acquired from the Astros last year. Um, you know, Castro, you know, he's coming off a pretty solid year. You know, you'd know more about it last year from the meet. It seemed like he had a pretty good start to the year offensively. I know obviously Garver had the great year, and Garver was the everyday guy. Um, but they still feel like, you know, Castro has some left in the tank there. It's only a one year deal. They feel like if he can even be an average hitter and, and you know, even an average defender, uh, that's kind of what, you know, they like to get him in there for. You know, just to kind of help develop those pitchers, he's obviously a really smart guy. He went to Stanford, um, you know, works well with pitchers, still a good, you know, framer, not the best at, you know, caught ceilings, that kind of stuff. 
Um, but last year, I showed a little bit of power offensively. I know everyone did with the, the, with the balls, you know. But, um, but yeah, I, mean, I think it made sense for them. I know they're in on him. And uh, Martin Maldonado is another option. Robinson Torinos. So they're going to kind of go after a veteran on a one-year or two-year deal. Um, and I think Castro made a lot of sense uh, to kind of sign him. And we'll kind of see how that goes. Yeah, I was uh, as a Twins fan, I was I was kind of hoping they'd bring him back, but uh, I think you guys got really good defense, and uh, he'll hit he'll hit some home runs for you, and uh, I, I I think it's a solid signing for the Angels. Yeah, um, makes sense. My uh, my next question is what's what's next for Mike Trout? It seems like he can only he keeps getting better, e- even though. A person doesn't yeah. think it's even possible. Uh, where is the the future for Mike Trout? Is he going to keep getting better, in your opinion? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty amazing, right? Though, like you said, it's hard to get better when you're already the best in the world at what you do. But he somehow does. Even last year, he said it was his best year he's had offensively. He just missed the last three weeks of the season because he had a um, basically a, a neuroma. He had a, basically a ball of uh, – tendons or whatever it is in his foot that kind of balled up underneath his foot and it made him difficult for him to run or really even kind of walk for a little while there. So he had surgery and missed that. But otherwise, his numbers are all there and better than before. Um, so, yeah, I, mean, I think next year it's the whole thing with him. He's, he's like the one guy you can always count on to have an MVP-type season. You know, sometimes guys pop up. You know, sometimes Mookie bets or someone has a great year and they might win it or a guy like that. But the one guy, it seems like every single year, who always puts up insane numbers and, you know, never, never has slumps. Is, uh, is Trout. So I have a funny feeling next year, as long as he's healthy, um, you know, with Rendon in that lineup and Otani in that lineup and a healthy Justin Upton, um, I think this lineup's going to score some runs. So I have, I have a funny feeling he could have a chance here to have a lot of RBIs, a lot of runs scored. Um, I think we don't really know how the balls are going to be next year in terms of the home runs. You know, last mm-hmm. year he just had a career high in home runs, too, at 45. It was on pace to hit over 50 uh, until he, you know, had that surgery. So, the power actually has improved. His strikeout rates have kind of gone down in recent years, too. So uh, he's actually in his defense, too. His, his arm has gotten way better. He threw out a couple runners last year that were uh, incredible throws, including one at Dodger Stadium where he threw out Bellinger at the plate on like a 98-mile-per-hour throw home. So really right now, there's not much that he can't do. But like you said, it is pretty amazing. He does get better because he's still only 28, you know. So it's not like he's on the wrong side of 30 or anything like that. He's still right in the middle of his prime. Um, so it's going to be exciting to see what he can do. Um, and for his sake, hopefully, you know, the team will be better around him because, as you know, this is a team that's only been to the playoffs one time since he's been on the Angels, which is pretty amazing to think they have the best player this whole time and only go to the playoffs one time in 2014, and they got swept by the Royals. So they went an entire decade with no playoff wins, uh, which I know the Twins did the same, but, uh, but pretty rough when you have a guy like Scott in the roster. And uh, so I do think, hopefully, for his sake, uh, they'll have a little bit more fun and a little bit more uh, exciting stuff now they have Rendon and a couple other big additions. Uh, what? Not just uh, this year. You you already explained what the plan is this year, but going forward, what is the the Angels' plan with Otani? Is he gonna do both, or is are they gonna turn him strictly into a pitcher eventually? Barring any setbacks or barring any other injuries, I think right now the plan is at least to continue to do both. To, to right now, I don't know this year, at least for this year, obviously you said earlier, is, is to pitch once a week and then DH three to five times a week, three to four times a week. Um, and I said unless anything injury-wise changes, I think that'll still be the plan going forward. They're not ready to commit to one or the other. They feel like uh, it's a really luxury to have him do both. 
And now, too, if they have the new roster rules, uh, you know, now it's a 26-man roster. And if you can have a two-way player like Otani, he doesn't count as a pitcher on your roster. So essentially, too, the Angels, if they keep him as a two-way player, get to keep an extra pitcher on the roster uh, more than any other team. So they get an extra pitcher because of Otani, uh, which is definitely an advantage for them just roster-wise, too. And the fact that, truthfully, he can do both so well. I mean, he really is an elite-level hitter and pitcher. That's the thing. It'd be one thing if he was kind of average at one of the two and he was really good at one and okay at another. But, I mean, he's a power-hitting, you know, speedster on offense and a guy that can throw, you know, 100 miles per hour with an incredible splitter as a pitcher. So, um, that's to me. If, if the guy can do both, why limit him? Why not try to let him do both? And I think that hopefully MLB will continue to allow more players to do this. You know, we've seen Lorenzen do some of that with the, the Reds, and there's been more prospects kind of getting drafted in recent years, whether it's Brendan McKay or uh, Hunter Green that can do both too. Um, I'd love to see MLB kind of stretch the limits of what these guys can do because uh, it is pretty amazing to, to see a guy like Otani even in person do what he can do because even BP, he has home runs 500 feet in BP that go off scoreboards and then fact that he can throw the way he does too why not utilize both so the question i guess is going forward is how do they do that keeping him healthy and how do they maximize just his playing time because you don't want him to get overused or hurt his arm pitching so madden wants to have him bat on the days he pitches the front office is a little bit more iffy on that but um but i do think that no matter what i I think that it makes sense with how much talent he has they're going to try to keep him the two-way player as long as they can Hmm. uh I was I was wondering because he played with the Angels for quite a while. What was the 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 buzz like losing uh, Cole Calhoun as a free agent this year? Yeah, it was a tough one for the fans. Calhoun was a guy that was a big fan favorite. Um, pretty amazing story. A guy that was you know a senior sign out of Arizona State. Most guys that get drafted as seniors like that are kind of low upside guys or guys that aren't probably going to make the big leagues. Um, and for him to come out and, and have the career that he did, you know, he was a guy with power and speed and was a really great defender in right field, had a lot of energy and passion, and it was very evident because he played the game really, really hard. And you know fans love that. Fans love fiery guys that play the game hard and really care, and that's Calhoun. So I think that fans, though, understood the fact that they weren't going to pick up his option. You know, he had a $13 million option. I just felt like with their need for pitching and even just their upgrade to Rendon, it didn't really make much sense to bring him back. Um, but I think that everyone's happy that he got in fine with the D-backs. You know, he's from Arizona. He grew up in Buckeye, Arizona, went to Arizona State. Uh, so for him to be able to play for the D-backs in Phoenix and be back home, I'm sure he's thrilled to death. Um, so, but yeah, I, mean, I know fans definitely one of those guys is a fan favorite that always takes the same leave. But I think overall it worked out for everybody because Angels got to move on and, and use that money toward Rendon. He got to go back home to Arizona. D-backs are still a pretty solid team too. So I think all around it worked out, but as fans, it's always tough when you see one of your favorite players. Uh, leave just because of business decisions, you know. Uh, my last question about the Angels, and I want to touch on football for a couple minutes. Um, Perfect. The the AL West, uh, w- w- where are the Angels in that, in your opinion, with the Astros as the defending champions? Where are the Angels in that? It's it's a great question, and one I wish I knew more. I mean, it's just because it's so hard. And that's to figure out the Angels get another pitcher. But still, I mean, it's just the Astros are still the best team in the division. But, you know, they lost Garrett Cole, which is a huge part of their team. Uh, you know, so and they didn't really make much moves this offseason. I still think on paper, though, with Bregman and Altuve and Verlander, they're still the best team in the division. Uh, you look at the A's, they've won 97 games in each of the last two years. So, I mean, I don't know how they do it, but they do it. Obviously, we know Chapman's very good and Olsen and 
they got some good young pitching, but uh, they continue to win every year. And Simeon, so, I mean, they're a good team. And then we see the Rangers add, you know, guys we know, and Kyle Gibson, uh, Lance Lynn was an ace last year. Mike Miner was an ace last year. Uh, they get Corey Kluber, who is an ace. And all of a sudden, now the Rangers have really good pitching. So, I mean, I can see the Angels finishing anywhere between second and fourth. I don't probably see them winning the division. But I, I can still see the Angels being a, a potential wildcard team just because their offense is going to beat up on teams. But I just think the pitching for the Angels still just isn't there um, at the same level as the other three teams that are ahead of them in the division. So I, I think they're going to be somewhere in that two to four range, just depending on how their pitching ends up uh, holding up this year. Okay. Uh, I, I got to get your prediction. Uh, the national title game is on Monday night. Uh, LSU and Clemson. How do you see that game playing out? I'm excited for it. I really am. I'm, I think, I mean, it's one of those things where my heart, I, I want LSU to win because I like Ogeron so much. You know, I know that as an SD guy, mm-hmm. uh, the fact that USC passed up on him um, and didn't keep him was a tough one. And obviously to go for Sarkeesian and then Helson afterwards, it's been a pretty rough go for USC. So I have no uh, animosity toward uh, Ogeron. I'd love to see him win it. My head tells me that Clemson finds ways to win always, and it's just it's hard to, to you know, bet against them. But, um, but I'll, I'll go with LSU by three. I think that, you know, Burroughs had a great year. Um, it'll be fun to see Ogeron win just because, you know, just he's a good guy, and it's just fun to see him with this crazy energy that he has. And um, So just for his sake, I can see him win. So I'll say that by three, but I do think my head tells me that Clemson always finds ways to win. Yeah, we discussed this. Uh, I'm going Clemson in a tight. I think it's going to be a a tight, hard fought game. But uh, yeah. I, I just they've won 29 games in a row. So until yeah, they lose, lose, right? uh, I can't see it. Um, yeah. I my last I question for you. My last question is: Where is sure. SC? <laughs> uh, they kept Hel- Helton after. After having a so-so year, uh, where is the program in your mind? Are you trying to get me mad here, Travis? Are you trying to get me riled up on your, on your podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Are you trying to get me to start saying some cuss words? Um, no, yeah, it's, it's really bad. I mean, it's really bad. I mean, Helton, uh, good guy, nice guy, runs a clean program, but can't win big games, uh, can't recruit. Um, you know, it's just a total disaster. I mean, I understand – the new president and the new AD came in and don't want to ruffle feathers. They want to try to, you know, have everything at least be clean for now until they kind of analyze the mess that the university is in in general. Um, but to me, it's just, it just was kind of spineless to keep them. I know there's money involved, but the problem is they're going to lose so much money now in terms of, you know, alumni donations to ticket sales to everything you can think of just because the alumni were all fed up, you know, much as much as the people respect Helton as a person, it's just, it just doesn't, he just can't win the big games and it's just not going to happen. And we know it's a recruiting class he just had that it's just, you know, they're going to be kind of doomed a little bit for the near future too. So I guess the hope is Slovis is a good quarterback. Hopefully that, you know, he can at least have a good year, but I guess have Helton be bad enough. They could fire him, I guess. But I don't know why they have to delay the inevitable and do it after next season. So it's just kind of a mess, but yeah, I mean, as an alum, I'm not happy and I'm certainly not alone. Um, but like I said, I don't have any problems against Helton as a person. He seems like a really good guy. It's just that's not the qualifications to lead a major football program. Uh, so in that sense, it's definitely uh, tough as an alum. But I hope they can get it together soon. I still love my university, but it's been a tough, uh, gosh, how long has it been? Uh, 20 years probably. <laughs> so what can you do? <laughs> yeah, the, you were in Minnesota for quite a few years. Uh, what was your thoughts on uh, 
the season by the Gophers. I loved it. I had a lot of fun watching that. I, you know, the rode the boat and Fleck. At first, I kind of, you know, he came over. I thought he was a little bit of one of those kind of like snake oil salesmen coming over with all his little slogans. I thought he was a little bit cheesy, but it's clear the players buy in. They really like him and they play hard for him. Uh, I, I watched that Penn State game. It was awesome to see them win that one. And it was too bad about the Iowa game. And uh, that bowl game yeah. was awesome. Incredible. So I, 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 I root for the Gophers. I hope they do well in the Big Ten. And, um, you know, he's a pretty, uh, pretty amazing guy the way he's able to turn around that program to win that many games. I was there in Minnesota for a long time and saw some of those really bad teams uh, over the years. Too. Yeah, so yeah. Pretty amazing yeah. quickly he's turned it around, and I'm certainly hoping that he'll uh, keep it going. Yep. Uh, Rhett, I want to thank you for making the time. It's always fun to yeah, visit. No problem. Uh, uh, when the Angels are in town, you uh, will have to get together or something. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love that. I'll definitely be there. I would never miss an Angels uh, twin strip in Minnesota. I always try to be on those ones. All right. Sounds good. Uh, you have a good day, and uh, I'll talk to you soon. All right. You too, Travis. Thanks again. That was Red Bollinger of MLB.com, uh, the Angels beat writer for MLB.com. And uh, he had we talked a little Angels, talked some uh, the national title game that the world dated as LSU defeated Clemson. 42 to 25, unfortunately. Um, and uh, we talked a little SC and uh, the University of Minnesota, who had a outstanding year going 11 and 2. Um, my next guest is uh, from the Cleveland.com and also a contributor to the Plains Dealer. Joe Noga, we've had him on to talk about the Indians, and uh, I wanted I wanted to get his thoughts on. This is after this interview was taken after the Josh Donaldson signing happened with the Twins, so this is his thoughts on where the Central Division race will will look like this year. So without further ado, I'm going to bring on Joe Noga. Our next guest on Minnesota Sports Weekly is Joe Noga. He is a writer for uh, Cleveland.com and also a contributor to the Plains Dealer. So without further ado, I'm going to bring Joe on and we'll talk some Indians. Joe, how's it going? Going real well. Good to talk to thanks you guys. For making, yeah, thanks for making time. Appreciate it. Uh, let's talk about the Indians. Uh, how how are things looking uh, January 15th? Uh, January 15th looks a lot like the end of the regular season with the major exception of uh, Corey Kluber not being at the top of the Indians' rotation after uh, 10 seasons with the club. The Indians traded him to Texas and got uh, Delano DeShields Jr. and Emmanuel Classe. Uh, Classe really the, uh, the the focal point of that trade in what was really seen as a salary dump. Uh, Kluber's $17.5 million uh, salary for the season uh, goes over to Texas. Uh, Classe, a uh, guy who throws uh, triple digits, and, you know, uh, really sort of changes the 
the profile of the Indians' bullpen to uh, more of a power, you know, big arm, uh, hard-throwing uh, back end of that bullpen. Uh, you know, and, and with all the talk uh, surrounding Francisco Lindor in this offseason, uh, this would be the, the ideal time for the Indians to trade somebody like that. But uh, they are holding strong and, and waiting on, uh, you know, the, the, the best offer, I guess. Uh, all indications are that Lindor will open the season with the Indians as their shortstop. Um, were you surprised at all with the Kluber trade? No, not really. Uh, we we, we kind of we kind of felt that if Corey Kluber was going to get traded, that it would probably be you know Corey Kluber traded somewhere and Francisco Lindor traded somewhere, and they start uh, an earlier rebuild than than they might have anticipated. But uh, I think, you know, the, the the move to deal Kluber was was the right right thing to do. It just the the return seemed a little light. Uh, I don't know if it's that they're not telling us everything that we need to know in terms of his health or or whatnot. But uh, you know, he he did get most of last season off to to rest and recuperate. He should be. You know, uh, you know, back to full health. If that's if that's something that at age 34 he's able to do, uh, I just don't think that a, a you know 22 year old reliever and a uh, you know sub league average outfielder uh, in return is is what you would expect to get from a two time for in exchange for a two time Cy Young award winner. Um, another guy I was curious about, uh, if he's going to come back or if his time with the Indians is over is Jason Kipnis. What can you tell me about, about him? Uh, all indications are that he will not be back with the club, uh, in, in any way they've moved on. They have, uh, signed Cesar Hernandez to a one year, $6.25 million deal. Uh, Hernandez spent what, seven seasons in, Philadelphia and, you know, five highly productive seasons for the Phillies. Uh, he fits in somewhere towards the top of that Indians lineup. And, uh, you know, he gives them four switch hitters on the infield and uh, a high on base guy, a guy that can really run the bases and, and looks like he will fit really well with what Terry Francona likes to do uh, offensively towards the top of that lineup. Uh, Jason Kipnis, of course, you know, his, his entire career with the Indians, uh, a high draft pick by the Indians out of Arizona State, and, you know, at the center of some of the franchise's biggest moments over the last 10 years. Uh, it's just uh, he was he was due to make a boatload of money in terms of uh, if they would have picked up his, his option. I believe it was a $16 million option. Uh, they declined that. They, they bought him out for about 2.5, and uh, it doesn't – sound like there's going going to be a lot of chance of of, of them agreeing on a a number in terms of a a free agent deal. Um, uh, Speaking of the Shields, uh, is is he going to be a starter for the Indians or come off the bench in your mind? I, you know, I, the Indians right now have nine outfielders on their uh, 40 man roster and Delano DeShields is, is projected at uh, you know a 1.3 WAR for next year. Uh, last year he he hit 249, 
with uh, a 672 OPS in in 118 games. He's been you know up and down even at, at even at five years in in his major league career. He's been up and down uh, to to AAA. I you know with young Oscar Mercado developing in center field, I I can't see how you take innings away from Oscar Mercado in center field. So you got to figure they they brought the Shields in to, to possibly play left. Or platoon there with Jake Bowers. Uh, you know, DeShields a right-handed hitter. Bowers a left-handed hitter. Uh, it, it's just it's hard for me to see DeShields starting over uh, some of these young guys who who they gave a chance to last year and and were you know pretty much pretty productive in terms of, of Mercado. Uh, uh, speaking of Mercado, is is it too early for? an extension in your mind, or could we be seeing the Indians spending some money on, on Oscar Mercado? I I don't see Oscar Mercado signing an extension, you know, this year or next year, Uh, you know, possibly when he gets close to arbitration, they might try to lock him up, but that, that doesn't fit with Chris Antonetti's, uh, you know, sort of game plan in, in, in that regard. Uh, if I if I'm Antonetti, I'm looking more towards uh, guys like Mike Clevenger and Shane Bieber in terms of locking them up for long term, uh, buying out their arbitration years. But I I can't see you know with two years of pre-arb left, you've got you've got Mercado on a you know on a steal basically right now at, at the major league minimum. So no, n- not not an extension right now for Mercado. You're talking about Oscar Mercado. You're not talking about Ronald Acuna or any one of these other, you know, highly touted, uh, big-time uh, prospects who came in. This is a kid who he was brought over at the end of 2018 at the trade deadline into the organization, and in 2019, uh, you know, he sort of really came on in spring training, was impressive, and they brought him up to made his major league debut in May, and he's a he's a young controllable piece uh that that performed i think higher than expectations last year so i think they're going to let him you know see how he goes in the next couple of seasons before talking about any sort of uh a contract uh, the the pitching for the indians is is obviously going to be their strength how uh, good do you think that starting rotation has a chance to be I still think that this is the the best starting five or starting rotation in the division uh, in the American League Central, top to bottom. Uh, you know, you're looking at Carlos Carrasco, Mike Clevenger, Shane Bieber uh, as your as your top three, and uh, these are guys who historically, uh, Clevenger in particular, uh, have owned the American League Central uh, teams. Uh, you know, particularly teams like Kansas city and Detroit and, and Chicago um, throughout their careers. So, you know, I, I, and it, this is the, also a rotation that has depth and beyond just uh, young guys like Zach Plesak and Aaron Savali, who both came up and made their major league debuts last season and both contributed in major ways to the Indians winning 93 games. Uh, I, I, I also see, you know, a couple of left-handers, young guys, Logan Allen, who was brought over in the Trevor Bauer trade, uh, and Scott Moss, uh, also, you know, acquired during the season. Uh, these are t- that that would give <laughs> that would give the Indians something that they haven't had since about the 2017 season, 
which would be a regular left-handed starter in the rotation. For the uh, the number of lefties that the Indians face in the American League Central throughout the season, uh, particularly those going, uh, guys over in Chicago have uh, a lot of left-handed starters. Uh, the Indians have none and have had none. Uh, I think this is a rotation that will give you, you know, three, at least three, maybe four guys possibly who could go 200 innings this year. And, and that's saying a lot. Okay. Uh, how's the bullpen looking? And, and speaking of that, how is the new uh, three batter rule going to affect Terry Francona? Well, it's already affecting Terry Francona. I'm sure it's giving him uh, uh, several sleepless nights. This is uh, <laughs> you're talking about Terry Francona, the guy who, uh, along with Mickey Calloway in 2016, uh, really revolutionized or, or, or started a trend of of having these uh, these early bullpen uh, games in the in the playoffs with Andrew Miller, uh, and you're talking about a guy who will not hesitate to make a pitching change to find the matchups that he likes. And, and he's very knowledgeable and, and very skilled at doing that. And this takes away his ability to do that in, in some ways. I, I don't think that this rule is going to uh, really have as much impact as a lot of people are, are sort of banging the drum about it. It, it sort of, you know, this changing the game and all that. I think you're going to see it crop up once in a while uh, in, in, you know, longer games, late inning games, things like that. But for the most part, I, I don't think uh, uh, it, it's going to have that huge of an impact until we get down to the playoffs and, and later in the year. Um, with that said, the Indians' bullpen, uh, like I said before, with the addition of Manuel Class A, uh, and if Jeff Jeffrey Rodriguez can return to and, and do what he did, uh, you know, for, for parts of last season, uh, this is a bullpen that now transforms from. Uh, sort of soft tossing, you know, pitchers, pitchers, uh, going out there and, and getting strikeouts. Uh, they, they've lost, obvi- obviously lost uh, Tyler Clippard, who did an amazing job for him last year, to the Twins in free agency. But now you're going to be running guys out there, 6'2", 6'3", uh, who throw, you know, 96, 97, 98 miles an hour consistently. And that's something the Indians haven't really had the last couple of seasons. They've had you know, more strike-you-out pitcher kind of guys as opposed to blow-you-away strikeout guys. Um, it, it'll be a different look. And, I, you know, I, I think uh, Carl Willis and uh, Terry Francona and, um, you know, everybody associated with the club is we're looking forward. To it. The bullpen's always sort of a, a question that's up in the air as we're heading towards spring training. But by the end of the by the end of spring training, things usually work themselves out. Um, when it comes to Carlos Carrasco, he came back from uh, leukemia and, and, and did a pretty good job overall. Is that even a question mark anymore about how he's recovering and, and being able to to be the, the pitcher he was before leukemia? Well, you know, uh, he he didn't put up these these dazzling numbers and carried the Indians to you know obviously fell short of the playoffs at the end of the year last year. Uh, so yeah, he he performed the way you would expect somebody coming back from dealing with leukemia to to perform. He gave up a few home runs, uh, pitched in some beginnings. I think the biggest thing was that he was out there pitching, 
and and that was the biggest plus you could take away from that. Uh, I think this year, I've I've pretty much consistently said, and with the with the depth in pitching, starting pitching that that the Indians have, I think uh, Terry Francona might be more inclined to leave guys like Zach Plesac or Aaron Savali, who are still very young and very unproven at the major league level, to um, you know start the season maybe at AAA. And, and leave Carrasco in the rotation. And then maybe as the season progresses and you bring Plesak, Savali, uh, you know, Moss or Logan Allen up, you might move Carrasco and, and put him in the bullpen as, as a guy who can come in and give you big innings and big outs in situations where you need to win games. Carrasco has pitched out of the bullpen uh, before, he, he moved to the bullpen when he couldn't get his head right as a young pitcher. And, and then basically, uh, you know, the, the staff came to Francona and said, look, he's ready to go back into the rotation. And, and that's when he sort of took off in, in 2015, 2016. So you, you look at, you look at uh, Carrasco as providing you uh, flexibility, versatility, and depth in, in, as, a, as a, a piece in your rotation and as a, a reliever. Uh, and all indications are right now that he's he's going to be healthy and he's going to be ready to come back and contribute. Uh, how would you uh, handicap the tribe's uh, offense? Uh, handicap is a is a good way to uh, you know describe <laughs> my my feelings towards the offense. Uh, I'll tell you this: we saw flashes and sparks of Jose Ramirez busting out of, you know, whatever slump he endured for the 2018 season, uh, second half of that, and, and, you know, parts of the 2019 season. Uh, he's, he's, there's still Jose Ramirez in there, and I think he's the biggest key to the Indians' offense. You've got uh, Carlos Santana, who, who hits the AL Central as, as good as anybody, uh, you know, in mm-hmm. baseball. He's, he's lifetime career, you know, numbers in the AL Central are, are excellent. Uh, same with Francisco Lindor. He 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 destroys you know the the young pitching and the he loves playing in those ballparks. Um, as long as you've got Francisco Lindor at the top of that lineup, and you're able to put you know Cesar Hernandez in there somewhere, uh, probably batting second, uh, Santana third, Franmil Reyes fourth, and you know Franmil Reyes you don't overlook him and. Yeah, he's going to strike out 140 times this year, but he's going to hit you 35 home runs, and he's going to do that with power to all parts of, uh, of the ballpark. And he's a, he's an impressive hitter uh, in in a very in, in a you know in a season and a half worth of uh, San Diego and, and Cleveland. He's he's the real deal in terms of just a big man that can get a hold of the ball and, and drive it out of the ballpark, and that's something the Indians need there in that number four spot. Um, and, and I like, I like having to drop Jose Ramirez maybe in that, in that batting order down to that, his natural number five spot. I think he'll be a a big run producer for him there. Okay. Uh, my last question and then I'll let you go. Uh, I handicapped the, the AL central in your mind, uh, with the Indians pitching, they're always going to be right there. Uh, where where do you uh, 
see this division playing out this year? Well, I think pitching is the is the big premium in the division. Uh, obviously, uh, Detroit, Kansas City are you know well into tear down rebuild mode, and we're not going to worry about them. It's it's a three team race really, and and I see the Indians' experience helping. I see their pitching depth definitely helping if they can if they can stay healthy, healthier than they did last year, and I think you know baseball is a game of run production and uh, run prevention. I think the Indians are going to do a really good job, particularly with their defensive infield uh, of, of run prevention. Uh, I don't know that they are going to produce enough runs to hang with Minnesota. So uh, particularly with the addition of Josh Donaldson uh, in, in free agency, I think uh, that that makes Minnesota's offense elite and at some point they're going to make a move during the season to add uh, an arm. I'm sure of it. So I would put Minnesota first. I would put Cleveland there uh, very close and pushing them. And I would put the White Sox very improved, very much a challenge. I mean, this is uh, the Indians only had a losing record against one team in the division last year. And it wasn't the twins. It was the White Sox. So, mm-hmm. uh, I think uh, the White Sox will will push, will will contend, but I don't see them having enough, uh, you know, pitching to to hang with the with the top two. I I, I couldn't agree more. I, I think the Indians and and the Twins are going to battle it out at the top, kind of just like well, last you, year. If you remember at this time last year, I said, you know, I I really said that the. I thought the Twins were were really improved. I, I had suspicions about their pitching, but I said I thought that the the Twins would push the Indians to the last week of the season in terms of uh, the division title. And you know, I was, I was almost tra- I was almost exactly right. It was just the other way around. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, thank you for uh, the preview. Uh, I I'm can't wait for spring training. It should be another fun season, and. Uh, We'll have to do this again sometime this season. Sounds good. Take care, guys.